You are listening to Ace Comicals, my name's Greg. Today I'm joined by my co-host Leon. Let's get started. It's episode 21. We meet in the woods, bring forth the sacrifices, offerings in the name of his dark lordship, and what wonderful offerings they are indeed. Sawain, October 31st, Halloween, All Hallows' Eve, whatever you prefer to call it, we have a list here of reading that will get you through it. Chilling tales to be read by light of jack-o'-lantern. Just don't forget to check your candy apples for razor blades. Tonight, I, High Priest Greg, am joined by devoted disciple of darkness, Leon Everett. <laughs> Yeah, ignore those muffled scratchings and screams and yelling that you can hear coming from the freshly filled grave to your left. That's just Rahul. Seems he was still alive when we buried him. So we have a list of uh, reading here that we've been doing in honour of the fact that it is going to be Halloween. So these are a few sort of spooky tales that we thought, well, that we enjoyed, that we thought you might enjoy to read during Halloween as something to sort of like just get yourself in the mood for it kind of thing. And what a list it is, man. Yeah. Uh, we've got some stuff on here that's recent, like brand new recent, as in this week recent, as in week of recording <laughs> recent. And uh, we've got some stuff that's uh, that's been going on for a while, but I guess this is now the time to talk about it. So, um, first on the list is The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. So, most of you will know Sabrina the Teenage Witch as Melissa Joan Hart from your childhood. Your childhood Sabrina, this is not. Let's just get that out there straight away. (laughs) So this has got like this real sort of like late 60s, early 70s horror vibe about it because that's when it's set. But it's also like the artwork and it's the the whole mood of satanic panic. Even the artwork carries it because it's like old school horror movie poster. Um, We've got Roberto Aguirre Sasca as the writer and Robert Hack is the artist on this one. And Robert Hack drew and coloured it. Um, and it's beautiful. It's a beautiful, beautiful book. I I love this kind of like grindhouse poster thing that it's got going on. You know, this like uh, monster movie horror double feature thing. And the fact that every single page as well, like just upon opening it, you instantly know that this is a book that is about Halloween. Like, it, it's every, you know, it's muted shades of orange. It's all sort of, it's all shades of orange and dead leaves. And, and you know, it's just, I think it's a beautiful, beautiful book. So, Leon, what, I mean, what are your first impressions? <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. I mean, um, I remember hearing about this book um, a, wh- a while back, um and thinking about, oh yeah, I should I should get around to reading that because I was um, like this time last year I was um, getting back into a lot of Archie comics in the run up to the Riverdale show that was going to air on um, the CW and Netflix the um, the following January I believe, um, and so I was geared up and I was like going back down memory lane. I was reading like Archie uh, Afterlife of Archie and all that, and I was really getting into it and reading up on the law and seeing what these characters have been up to. Um, and then this was this one was being mentioned to me. And, and I thought, yeah, I, I should put this on the list. And completely forgot, completely didn't get around to it. And then uh, you brought it up the other day. Um, and I thought, oh, yeah, let me check that out. And then 
saw the writer, and the writer, um, Roberto Aguirre Sacasa, he is the uh, chief uh, creative officer at Archie Comics, and he's sort of been there leading the revival of these um, sort of newer, fresher takes on the Archie uh, archetypes and characters. Um, and he is like the showrunner on the uh, the CW Riverdale show. So um, going into it, I was thinking, I didn't know what to expect. I thought it might have been in the tone of the show, which is a very like campy mystery soap, but it, it, it fully knows what it's doing. And it's like, it's cheesy in, in parts with a winking nod. And there's a, a yeah. big love of like... Um, like old cinema in it. It's uh, almost, every episode is named after an old film. It's almost Twin Peaksy, the show, isn't it? Yeah, like it's yeah. it's got echoes of that as well, and um, it's taken some of the best bits of like sort of the good teen shows in the last twenty years and sort of condensed that into there and like other like family dramas. So it's it's been quite interesting, and it's been nice to see um, like fan favorite characters showing up and like having a nice twenty first century twist to them, but not in the typical. Oh, and this character, there's this now. This kind of still true to their characters. They're just what they'd be like if they were in 2017. So it's quite interesting, and I really like what he's doing with that show. And uh, it started off as saying, "Oh, it's my guilty pleasure," but no, now it's just my pleasure. So hmm. like um, going in, I was wondering, "Oh, is the tone of the this book going to be similar?" But whoa, it's dark. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. Yeah, dark. It is. Straight off the bat, it, this is Rosemary's baby like this is what happens like this is a sequel to rosemary's baby like we're finding out what happens <laughs> to that baby as we go up and it's it's brutally it's like a cultist af like wow they like knocked me knocked me back like quite a lot and yeah it, it does so many good things like um, in earlier issues it's like it's use of like uh, panel framing and there's like a really good uh, in the first issue um really good panel where a character goes into a room and it's um, it, he what's there is not what the character was expecting and it's a the room is completely dark but the only light is the illuminated doorway with him standing in it and a, and a crib that's illuminated and it's so so beautiful like it's just such a good use of uh, negative space and it really sort of um, pushes you in the direction of like what's going on in the story and the importance of certain characters and the hollowness of, just, of some of this. Yeah, it just completely install, it instills dread. It's what that panel is designed to do. That panel is pure dread. Yeah. And it's, but, it's like, you know, when you, when you wake up um, and you're in a dark room and the light's on outside and just as you open your eyes, it's kind of like a fuzziness and you can pick out shapes in the light. Yeah, yeah. And then, yeah, that's that kind of feeling about it. Like, I can imagine, like, if you're just waking up and you see that, like, your eyes adjusting to the light, <laughs> to the door's yeah. been flung open. But, but yeah, it's so, it's so uh, striking and directed, and uh, some of the lines in it are just great. Like, uh, at the beginning, as uh, a certain character's just talking about themselves, and they're like, blah, 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 scholar, occultist father and it's like it's so like dramatic in an old sense but then it really hits that sort of uh weird sort of bouncy 60s um expiration and there's a lot of uh especially at the beginning a lot of use of 
sort of not knowing what your past is and sort of uh, like digging deeper and finding out more about yourself, but also some of the core sort um, Sabrina and other teen uh, things where um, it's dealing with being like a teenage girl and having these feelings and emotions. And yeah. there's a lot of like, uh, like metaphor that, uh, and a lot of subtle metaphor. It's not quite uh, like on the nose, which I quite like. And hmm. yeah, there's nothing really preachy or, crazy there's just like a really cool sort of through line going throughout and it's just you're getting this really cool watercolor paint style artwork that really puts you in that era but this like magical witchy satanic era which is a really good uh an interesting it's take on this character and i love yeah. that it's period and not set now it, yeah it's it's that whole like satanic panic thing you, you know, like, um, because if you like kind of the mood back then with regards, I mean, more, I'm thinking about this more in like rock music terms. So with like Black Sabbath and stuff like that, you know, people yeah, like uh, yeah. late, late 60s, early 70s, yeah. playing playing records backwards yeah, and all but that. It, it kind of nails all those cliches because it mm. has all the like the, the sort of cliche occult stuff that you hear about, like the whole like um when you when you you know like dummy's guide to how to worship satan thing it's kind yeah. of like it's like all those all those like sort of like cliches kind of nailed and down but it does them in a way that still it that, that it brings them in in like a really fresh way yeah so yeah. in like all the you know like when you watch like these old like uh occult b movies or whatever um and they they hit certain points yeah and certain and things will always happen and the, this, the yeah. very early sort of video nasty era. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's I don't know about video nasty, more like um like B movie horrors. Yeah. Like yeah, I, I, video nasty's probably like they're more the uh I don't know. But yeah, I, I wouldn't I would I wouldn't say video nasty, I'd say more kinda in the lines of um Yeah, be these kinda like the creep creep show double feature things that you can mm. now buy on D V D for a fiver or whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> And um, you've got, uh, well, Blu-ray as well, because Arrow have done, like, releases of films that are similar. But you've got, like, um, the the whole, this sort of, like, it's not, how do I put this? Um, it, it's, it does it does the thing that, that witchcraft stories do, like, ever so well. And that's, like, it, it is a discussion of female sexuality without being, like you said, overly preachy and things like yeah. that. Yeah. Which I really I mean, yeah, about it. I think it handles that stuff really well. Yeah. And, um, like, I just think the the panel construction uh, and composition and the visual storytelling is just really cool. It really works. And it, it leaves me hopeful for what Sabrina is going to be like in the Riverdale show. Cause yeah. it makes the same show. Right now. So I'm not expecting the same thing. So obviously it's set now, but I'm expecting a really dark take because it's yeah. funny. I never really read much Sabrina. I think I'd read the odd strip, um, of the book and that's obviously very bouncy in 60s and obviously yeah. I, I watched the show um, as a kid but then when we were first interested in uh, introduced to her aunts like whoa that's like <laughs> whiplash because they are like pretty harsh <laughs> Zelda and Hilda cannibals yeah. <laughs> it is brutal but um, yeah I'm really loving this what, book and it's um, one of the things that I really loved about that the whole cannibal thing is that like you know when well, when they sit down to dinner, do you think Sabrina's eating people as well? Well, I think it's, it's a bit of like a, a Hannibal thing, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. It's like, I mean, may, maybe they're just 
preparing it really well. I mean, using those witch spices is probably pretty good. And it's the whole, um, like, normalisation of it, you know? Mm. Like, because she's been brought up in that. But it's like a culture, isn't it? It's like um, cultural upbringing and and different uh, traditions. And I love how it's sort of done that, where when they move to Greendale, it's all about, oh, yeah, there's a coven there. It's like, there's a community there. There's there's usually, like... Um, different community uh, people from different communities or cultures like when they move to a city they they want to be around they want to like dig in and, and see what like uh, or what the Jamaican culture is there if they're Jamaican or the Polish culture like they want to have have that uh, type of summer so they're not just being dropped in the deep end they want to have yeah. some sort of bonding and I kind of like the way they use the the covens in that way like, oh there's a coven in Greendale but it's like instead of here. and the way the way they they do like the whole worship thing and whatever and and mm. it's like it's like the same way people who are Christian would observe Christianity but totally flipped yeah it's like the, the complete opposite side of the coin the way it's written in this book and I really like it like that I think it fits yeah. well yeah, no, it's um, it's a book I definitely um, would recommend. Um, oh, yeah. I've only read a, f- a few of the beginning issues, and there's a, a couple more to read. It's a f- it boils down to a few trades, doesn't it? It's two trade. I think there's this one trade, and then the second trade should be out in December. Okay, it's, I thought it. Oh, it's like is it like seven issues or something? Eight issues? Yeah, there's only there's only this first trade. I think is six issues. Okay, because I, I think I've read four issues of it, so I've not got much to go. But um, yeah, I'd, I'd I'd highly recommend this. It's a really really good read, and um, yeah, I mean, I, I think, don't, I think um, it's because it's suffered from scheduling issues and stuff, big style. Mm. But it's a, such a really good book. And I'm yeah, so I think now is a good it. time to jump yeah. on it, definitely uh, this season. And um, yeah, it's it's a really good read, and. Uh, it, it just—it's a nice book to look at, but it—it it reads really um, quickly as well. It's not—it's um, really clear in its uh, pacing and um, story construction, which which I quite like. It's not not confusing, um, yeah, or like um, doesn't doesn't sort of spin your head in circles. So yeah, this is an easy recommend for me. But um, this is right up my alley. So yeah, I think it's—I think it's actually the first five looking at its five mm. chapters but i don't mean because i've not been following it that way I mean, i've just bought the trade but yeah I'm, I'm waiting for the i wait for the second trade i will buy the second trade i need to get afterlife of archie as well that's good after, afterlife with archie is like this is kind of a follow-on from that mm. and it, that's in a similar vein which i'm looking oh, i think I this was the beginning of uh aguas Akasa sort of trying to reinvent them as i was mentioning before and i think yeah. that it was the afterlife of archie and chilling adventures of sabrina were like the the first sort of uh the first wave of him yeah putting his mark on it it's totally my thing like the specter of halloween runs all the way through it and it's just like as we've already said robert hack's art is like completely beautiful um and the slow burn this this slow burning dread that like um aguirre sarcasa had it's just brilliant and you do want to listen to Black Sabbath when you're reading it. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like, you're like, yeah, I want to, this is something where you read it. You're like, I want to sling on some doom while I'm reading this, you know? It's got that real feel about it. I really do like it. Um, so, on to our next book, which I've read, which is a, a, a recent one. Uh, it's uh, Mike Mignola and Warwick Johnson Cadwell. 
Um, this was only out last week, so week of recording being like new comic book day was ten twenty five. So last week, um, that was the eighteenth. Uh, so this was out on the eighteenth of October, and this is called Mr. Higgins Comes Home. Now, this is like a kind of a, a love letter to like the old Hammer Horrors. So you like these, you know, these great monster movies like the old Dracula films and whatever else, yeah? Um, and it's it's like Hammer Horror infused with like more wit. So it's got like this kind of like comic line running through it. It's, I mean, it's a really great story, and but it's like it's horror. It's like a horror, but there's also like an, an ed, a edge of comedy to it, and it's got real heart as well. In the way that some of these characters, like, because it's only a short story, but like the arc of the character through the short story, and the way that it plays out, it's really not. Nice. It's really nice, but it, it, it's this bit of a sad ending, but it's really nice. So it's like, as I say, it's not just vampires versus werewolves. It's it's much more than that. And the art is also great for the tone of the book because it, it the art reminds you that it's a comic. And I like the way the art sort of plays up to the fact that the story isn't so serious. It's a horror story, but it's not such a serious horror story. It's kind of kind of uh, campy because you've got like this uh, this vampire count and his wife, and you've got this pair of like monster hunters and slayers that are obviously looking to take down this vampire count and his wife they've been like traveling and they're you know they're making their way up to they've, they've got a plan to take this guy out and uh this plan involves this guy who was turned into a werewolf by the vampire uh who he's now really depressed because he hates being a werewolf he wants to die basically uh and they're gonna use him the plan is to use him to lead them to the crypt so they can put a stake through this vampire's heart. But obviously, it all goes a little bit pear-shaped. <laughs> and it, I I really thoroughly enjoyed it, and I recommend... Because you wanted to read this, Leon, didn't you? But I don't think you managed to get the chance. Yeah, it was it was on my list, but um, I was looking the wrong place for, like, dates of release. And I was like, oh, it's out later. And then I'm like, oh, no, it's actually out now. So this will be one that I probably catch up with this weekend because uh i'm going to be reading a lot of stuff continuing yeah some of the stuff that i've started and keep myself in the halloween mood so this one's definitely on the list it's like a it's um it's like a, a hammer horror movie with like you know traditional slayer vampire and what would happen like they get invited to dinner at this vampire's like castle or whatever but there's also like a a, a meeting of vampires going on at the same time and i think they plan to kill the slayers but mm. it kind of like goes pear-shaped and gets tipped on its head yeah and the thing is like uh mcnola usually brings the goods so it's yeah. always nice to see tackling something no this um, is this is a good one it's a very pretty hardback as well i like it the cover it's like it's um it's very dark black uh with like kind of like the outside of the um like the, the outside front door maybe to the castle or citadel where this vampire might live uh with like a, a sort of like gargoyle-esque crest above it with a bat and then there's like a shadowy figure in the doorway with like a red light behind him um so it's just a really nice cover on there as well and yeah it's just it's just super enjoyable to read and it's such it's a short story and you can get through it so quick but it's just so like you do it and you it's not the cut you wouldn't read half then put it down then read you'd read the whole thing 
all the way through start to finish because sometimes with i mean even though they are short you get these kind of like one shotty 80 100 page books and you're like i read part of it put it down for a bit or whatever yeah but this is one that i went all the way through all in one so it's definitely it's and it's something that yeah it, it it's like sort of like the traditional monsters and, and traditional horror type stories that you would probably be used to from old films and things it's the kind of thing that would keep you in the halloween mood so it's one for the list um after this there's one that i bought this week so out on the 25th which is um it's another archie comic it's jughead the hunger number one so this plays with the idea that jughead is actually a werewolf and the best way to describe this is if the sabrina book we just described is doom metal and makes you want to listen to doom things like sabbath and whatever then like slow heavy chug that the sabrina book has this jughead book is the misfits so (laughs) this is like you'd want to listen to punk halloween punk songs while reading this (laughs) um it's basically this is a follow-on from a previous story where jughead was turned into a werewolf and betty and archie are now hunting him down because betty's family is like a, a family of werewolf hunters and apparently have been so for generations so we've got them jughead's now gone on the run we've got them hunting jughead he's joined the circus in this and he's trying everything he can to stop himself from doing harm when he turns into a werewolf it's like chaining himself down at night and stuff which is kind of like um i don't know have you ever seen ginger snap yeah of course yeah you know the whole thing where she obviously that's like a thinly veiled metaphor for drugs but (laughs) the whole whole thing the, the that story element or the film the story element in the film, Jin, Jin okay. Snap, but the film, yeah, it's like a, a like, but the way, but the way in which she's trying to stop herself from becoming a werewolf. Because mm. the, the, yeah. the, the the metaphor for that film as well is also like womanhood and like uh, puberty and adolescence and all that. Yeah, I'm just I'm going on the fact that when she's trying to stop <laughs> herself from becoming a werewolf, so I'm like that plot device where she yeah, doesn't want to yeah. be a werewolf and she's injecting is it nightshade or something. Yeah, 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 something along those lines. Yeah, and she's in rehab. Yeah, but it's like that. But uh, as where she's trying to solve it, it's like that whole idea of a werewolf that doesn't want to be a werewolf, and they just you know, which again is visited in Mister Higgins as well. I guess that's kind of like a running line with werewolves. They don't want to be werewolves. They don't remember what they've done when they've turned into werewolves, and they just cause trouble. And they wake up covered in blood, and it's scary. And Jughead's in pretty much the same boat. He's like he knows he's killed people, and he's done horrible things. Um, but there's something else going on at the same time, because one of his victims, who happens to be Reggie Mantle, oh gosh, is also now a werewolf, because he survives an attack from Jughead. So he's in there now as well, and uh, by the end of the first issue, he's out again as a werewolf and turns up at Ronnie's house, turns up at Veronica's front door. So. Yeah, it's um, and then that's like where it leaves it on a cliffhanger at the end of issue one. So I'm I'm interested to see where that goes. But yeah, who really is like uh, who's responsible for this one? We've got artist is Pat and Tim Kennedy. So two people like splitting the art duties, and story is Frank Thierry. Colors is Matt Herms, and uh, got inks by Bob Smith and Jim Amash. Lettering by Jack Morelli. So it's it's quite quite it's got like a quite a big team behind it. Mm, yeah, but it's really good very good i was really enjoying that one so the other one that we've got here is one that we both read isn't it 
which is the DC House of Horror. This was also out um, 25th of October. So this is like out the same day as the Jughead book. So this is also on the stands. Yeah, this one's so fresh. I've only read read the stories from it. Yeah. Out of the eight. <laughs> but I'm going to complete it this weekend. So it's eight short tales set within the DC universe or using DC characters. Um, overall, it's a great read, but I think certain stories were stronger than others. Like, I mean, they're all good concepts, but there's some stories that I just don't think... Maybe it's because they have to be so short to fit in in you know within the, like the constraints of an anthology like this or maybe it's just the fact that i don't know they just don't seem they just fall flat as horror stories they're good stories but they just fall flat as horror stories i guess yeah i, mean, I, I know what you mean completely yeah i mean like there's my favorites here there was a, a harley quinn tale where harley is like an apparition or a figment of some dude's imagination making him go on a killing spree which I think is really good and really psychological. I got really into that one. That's probably one of my favorite, like my favorite one from the whole book, actually. Yeah, out of the three that I've read, uh, "Crazy for You," um, the Holly yeah. story, uh, written by uh, Brian Smith and Brian Keane, um, and the art by Carl Baker, that was my favorite of the three because it, it has this really cool uh, theme and it um, it sticks with it and it's um, starts off like quite dark and. There's a lot, a nice sort of grey area between the supernatural and, and psychosis. So um, I really like the, uh, the sort of commentary we get from the from Harley and all the uh, the crazed imagery and the the back and forth between like um, yeah. the, the timelines. It's it it, it it makes use of the uh, constraints of being such a short story. Um, and it leaves you wanting more in a good way, yeah. not in a uh, was that it? So yeah, out of the out of the three, it was the one I enjoyed the most it, so far. It does that well. Um, the other one that I really liked was the Wonder Woman story because that kind of feels like a horror story in the fact that young girls playing with a Ouija board then get Ouija board then get possessed by one of them then gets possessed by the spirit of an Amazon, which we see manifest as Wonder Woman but we don't know if that's just like... I mean, this story could work even if it wasn't Wonder Woman, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I've got some things to say about uh, this one. So this one's called uh, Man's World, wasn't it? Um, yeah, yeah. And the writer was uh, Mary San Giovanni, and the uh, artist was Bilquis uh, Everly and... Uh, Evely, sorry. And the uh, colours were done by Matt Lopez. And with this one, this this one's this one is quite interesting for me because there's bits that I really love. Like I really love the concept of it and how it handles certain things. So um, there's there's bits where like the com- the commentary on the the people uh she encounters and the uh the the brutal end they uh, get is um quite interesting it reminds me slightly of the sort of french exploitation revenge movies we were getting yeah, yeah. at the turn of the century like uh Baise Moi and uh, um what's it called it's got 
two names. Uh, I can't remember. I'll put it in the show notes. But um, yeah, there's, there was a couple around that time where they, they, these weird sort of hyper-violent, hyper-real type movies about um, women who sort of were pushed to the end uh, through various abuses, and they this they just flip it and turn back and have full control of. Do you mean things like I spit on your grave? Uh, yeah, I guess yeah. so. Yeah, yeah, and um, yeah, like they're full like taking back their like agency and uh their their sort of sexual power as well so it's quite interesting viewing it through that lens because it does really feel like that and like the wonder woman link is quite tenuous but it's quite it's quite an interesting one um reminds me a lot of the film under the skin in some ways which has um some visual not really visual motifs but some uh surface level uh similarities between it with the whole woman sort of stalking around a city uh, and like everyone pretty much being a target so yeah like that that stuff i really liked about it i mean but this is one that where it ended it left me wanting more but in a i haven't had enough yet it it just sort of cut off yeah um and like it's it's a really interesting idea but it ended too Um, quickly ended too quickly yeah and like uh, kind of like the whole thing of like let your inner Wonder Woman take control, which is pretty funny. And yeah, yeah. I love the use of like the contrasting of colors between the scenes because this one messes with timelines as well. And you have like the main character with the friends playing with the Ouija board. And there's, there's some nice, cool uh, like purples and blues and and nice color. And then when you uh, cut to the uh, the stalking the street stalking like it's very um orange red it's like the yeah con- the, the, it's like hot and cold contrast yeah because you've got like and cold cold palette and then hot palette in between the difference in the panels yeah and they, they do some cool stuff with like speech bubbles that I, like part of me that doesn't know if i love and part of me really like so yeah. i love like the stuff where all the friends about and there's no tails on the speech bubbles mm. that stuff is interesting because it it works in a really cool sort of this person's on screen talking and it's like reactionary, but then that sometimes it can be a little bit confusing. But on the other hand, there's like a cool use of two, uh, it's a great panel with the two faces of characters um, in one panel, sort of half and half. And the character, the aggressive character is saying something, but it just sort of fades away in the speech bubble. And it's like, she's not listening anymore boom and it's it's really um it's really effective i found um, yeah yeah but yeah it's a weird one because i like at first when i read this i was a bit uh disappointing in some ways because there was a lot of stuff that i really liked but then it just ends mm. but i mean thinking back on it it's it's i feel a bit more warm towards it i just wished there was more or it um constructed itself so that the end felt like an end because it sort of just happens if you know what i mean yeah it needs it needs more of a like a, a more closure i think is the word we're looking for it needs more closure on it because it's just it just feels like that's like another part of the movie and then this is going to ca- you know you like there's going to be another thing after that yeah it feels yeah. really issue one that's the thing yeah, it feels like that they should, you know, that should carry on. And, and I don't, yeah, I think that would have been better as like a full length. Maybe if the, if that had the whole 80 pages to itself or something, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But probably not 
in the sh- in the space of a short story. I mean, it's a great, but in hindsight, I can see what you mean. Yeah, it needs more space. I think that one does to truly kind of spread its wings because that was a good story. Um, the other one that I really liked, uh, there was a Batman one, and that's another psychological one uh, that plays with the idea that Batman isn't Batman and he's just nuts. Like everything, <laughs> everything that he thinks he's doing for the greater good, when you view it through the lens of the comic books and you see him dressed as Batman, taking villains down and being really heroic and whatever. And then like, it kind of puts another lens over it. And actually he's just beating people to death with an iron bar in the street with a mask on. And it's like, <laughs> you know, it's like, that sounds like Batman. Yeah. But it's like, it's, it's kind of like the flip of it. That, and, and that Batman is, actually the joker and it's like a really interesting concept the way they play it off like it's one guy with split personality disorder playing both characters and he, he he's wrestling with the idea that like it comes to this is the story the story is him coming to the realization that he is both people and wrestling, okay, that's cool wrestling with the idea about what he will have to do to defeat his, his final foe his greatest foe okay now that that sounds interesting because yeah. um, i read the first three so the first one I mentioned the, the second two. Um, the first one was Bump in the Night, which is a Superman story. Yeah. And that one is just so weird because, I mean, the the writer's Edward Lee and the art's done by Howard Porter and the colours are done by someone called Hi-Fi. Um, and I really like the super monster design because this is weird. It's sort of like a retelling of uh, Superman uh, landing Superman, in the Kent farm. Superman's origin gone wrong. Yeah, but it, yeah, it's weird because um, so like he, he lands, uh, and what we're getting at the time is the inner thoughts of like Martha Ken, who's wondering where Jonathan is, and she's like, "Oh, there's a fire there." Uh, I can't be bothered to check that out. I'll wait until Jonathan comes back. Why is he answering his phone? He's probably whittering on with someone. Then she starts hearing like bumps in the house and stuff, and. There isn't really a story to this one, or even a, a theme or whatever. Instead, it's just Super Monster ruthlessly attacking Martha for the, all of the pages, and it's, it's brutal. And there's not really any. It's like end. It's like it's like brutal animalistic monster yeah. movie type thing. But again, it needs more. It needs to be a full monster movie. You can't just show or, me the first fifteen minutes of a monster movie. Or, you know? or even like. There's no sort of like when you get to the end of it, it doesn't feel like there's a point. It's just like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if uh, Super Baby or whatever, uh, like ruthlessly uh, attacked uh, Martha Kent? And it's, it's just it's just a really odd book. I mean, the only thing I can uh, see that it was linking to is the whole sort of um, sort of slasher movie or monster chasing the um, the lone woman uh, around um, archetype. Yeah, yeah. That's what it looks like it's going for. But it's just it's just weird. Like, there's no... Usually in those movies, there's, like, the person's being chased, but then they they do some silly stuff, but then they also do some inventive stuff, and they're trying to outrun the thing. But no, this is just brutal. Like, Yeah, it's just brutal. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't really know what purpose it was serving other than, wouldn't it be cool if... And it's like, I don't know. Like, it, it, it's odd. And also, it has, like... Oh, such a bad line that just took me out of the the book where like um after some dealing with the initial attack and stuff uh a character just says uh character's like uh da, 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 and it's like 
definitely a Trump uh, administration. I oh, like, yeah, no. Oh my god, like why? Like it 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 just takes you out of the book immediately because it just doesn't really fit. It's such a clunker. Quickly, we need to make the story relevant. We need to add a line to do that. What do we do? <laughs> but it's, it's just not done in an artful way no, at it's all. It's not. It's really not doesn't really comment on anything interesting like why would you do that <laughs> that's that's definitely one of the weaker ones of the book 100 mm. percent. because i mean there are some good ones but there are some pretty weak ones as well that i wasn't that into um one of the other stronger ones that i really liked was the batman story which was the last laugh which is the one that i mentioned before mm. um that i was just talking about and i should mention the uh, team behind that because we've got um the writer is uh, nick cutter artist uh Rags Morales, colorist, um, Laverne Kinzereski, and letterer, Wes Abbott. Um, and that, that is a really good, it's a really good short story, actually. That is another one that works really well within the constraints of the short story. Um, the other one that I thought kind of fell a little bit flat was the Green Lantern one, which was just like a zombie story. Uh, it wasn't, it was just, just a, it's just a zombie story. It's just DC zombies. It's just, you know... (laughs) Oh, that's sad. I mean, yeah, I'll I'll give it a read and I might uh, report in future on what I thought of the rest of the book. But yeah. um, I mean, like, yeah, it's not. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I would. I say, I'd still say it's worth picking up, if not just for the the sto- the three stories that I I've mentioned, mm. uh, the last laugh, the uh, Wonder Woman one, which was Man's World, and the um, the, the crazy Harley. yeah Harley story, crazy for you. Yeah, the other yeah. ones, the other ones aren't like. They're, they're all right, but they're not great. They feel like they're just filling the rest of the book for those three. Mm. I really like yeah. the um, the cover of the whole thing. Isn't yeah, it? I like the cover. Yeah, it's a, a nod to sort of classic monsters. You've got yeah. um, Wonder Woman's cut. I don't know. Is she a siren? I a think banshee? she's siren, but she looks just cool with her like fiddle or violin, and yeah. she just looks she looks as boss. She's like a ghost of some kind, like a, a wraith or something. And then Look, you've got... Superman looks like he's melting. He's like Frankenstein's monster. Yeah, yeah. She's sitting on the shoulders <laughs> of Frankenstein's Superman. Uh, and then you've got like the Flash as a werewolf getting bitten by vampire Batman, because what else would Batman be? And then at the bottom of it all, you've got zombie Green Lantern <laughs> <laughs> getting melted on by a candle. Which, yeah, I think, I think it's a really nice cover. I like the cover, definitely. I mean, what I'll say broad broadly on it um, and what seems to be a theme of some of the stuff we've been reading this week is that whatever the case even like when they fail it is really nice and yeah. interesting to see these different liberal takes on these uh, sort of uh, archetype characters like these are like a lot of these are American history in some way they've been around for so long so it's nice to see um, like DC and Archie Comics mm. um, taking risks and just allowing some um, flights of fancy. Just just having with, fun um, with it and just getting yeah, into yeah. the season, you know. And, and just like just yeah. the reckless abandon <clears throat> and saying, yeah, cool, like this is the IP, do something crazy. And yeah. I, I quite like it. No, I'm, I'm really into that. Um, and what I want to say, actually, going back to Sabrina regarding that, actually, before we move on to the last book, is the fact that I mentioned the whole satanic panic thing and back when these types of stories were being made, like this is being made in the style of and back when these original tales were being 
made for cinema or, or, or books and whatever they would be made as cautionary tales where it would be like a cautionary tale like oh don't get involved in this you know kind of thing like because the, the whole mood at the time was that people were scared of this stuff and it was a real a very real fear for parents that their kids were listening to this heavy metal records and they were getting influenced and worshipping satan inadvertently and things like that you know and the reefer madness and the rock and roll yeah yeah and, and it's you know it's 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 taking the it's taking that idea and completely again flipping the coin and, and it's like it's okay you know it's okay to be into this it's actually kind of cool like it's taking the whole satanic panic thing and saying the satanic panic thing is okay i guess like the things that people were scared of and then telling you that they're actually that, that telling you that it it's normal and it's okay to be uh, to like this is this is like something that they're advertising instead of course being a cautionary tale against it yeah it's greg that. it's uh <laughs> it's totally fine to uh, eat people <laughs> no, i'm not talking about that i'm just... <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a cannibal. Think things have come come along so far. Now we yeah. can just uh, eat people and be yeah. good with it. <laughs> yeah, you know, <laughs> if prepared well. Just people walking down the street, and there's me in my dressing gown, carving a pentagram into a torso. No one cares. <laughs> <laughs> We've come so far. Yeah, I can openly practice witchcraft. No. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, onto the uh, the last book that we've read which is uh, another witchy one actually it's another period piece it's set in the 1920s i think um and this is uh harrow county and we're talking about the first arc or the first graphic novel first trade um the title being countless haints now haint is actually like southern slang in america for ghosts so countless haints is just countless ghosts but the way this book's written and the place in which it's set um it uses a lot of southern slang and you could like a lot of southern dialect in in the way the the the, um the characters talk which i think is really cool first of all and i again i really enjoyed this it's like an off kilter children's book in the way that it's set up because it's got like this beautiful watercolor artwork um and it looks really innocent and it's like you know in places it looks really innocent and everything and it's really nice artwork and it's really it's really like non-threatening and then all of a sudden things start to get weird and this very same non-threatening artwork becomes very threatening and the watercolors are used to great effect in panels to illustrate ghosts monster you know and 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 like haints i guess we'll call them haints uh beasts uh, you know (laughs) of all sorts of nature and weird happenings and it's i think it's really cool um yeah yeah it's it's a book that Especially that first issue, it opens so strong. Like, it's uh, such a cool sort of um, this-is-the-history type thing. And, um, like, the artwork, like you're saying, it's like watercolor sort of felt marker in a way. Uh, so the, the colors, like, there's a lot of, like, muted, earthy tones. But then in, like, one thing, it's not really, like, so say, like, a, a tree looks like it has, like, six or seven shades in it and it just looks so detailed and so crisp but it it, it doesn't have this hyper realistic look that i like it, it, people are still quite um stylized to a degree um and like you say in that children's book like the artwork and on the cover or in in the pages of a children's book style but um yes yeah, it's, it's done it's done so well that um everything sort of feeds into each other. So, mm. like, the framing feels very cinematic yeah. and 
paired with that that style and that style of um, coloring uh, and the, just the detail in the pencils and the inks on uh, like backgrounds and rooms and on characters' faces and bodies, it is it, really effective in pulling you into that world immediately and it builds this uh, like it builds this like central law really early and then um, when we join the lead character um, we're like taken deeper into almost literally taken deeper and deeper into this world and they just the way they set up a lot of like later mysteries of with just like side characters and their their exchanges to each other um, they're they're not super um, descriptive or um, or wordy um, in how they and how they used. Instead, it's it's more nods that um, open up the world quite a bit with without being fairly um, like didactic or, or on the nose. So um, yeah, no, I, I really like how it how it does this, and it it's it's even though it handles like supernatural stuff. Um, it doesn't skimp on like the psychological toll or the psychological horror and just the uh, atmosphere and tone. So um, there's a there's a lot to love in this in this book so far. Yeah, no, it's it's a gorgeous book, and I love like like you're saying, I love I love the way that it's set in the 1920s. I love the um, uh, it's like watching an apple slowly turn rotten in front of you. Like the way this story burns out, mm. you know, you you just know something's wrong from the get go because of the way it opens. But then, like, you have to watch it get wronger and wronger. Yeah, and there's a lot of cool sort of visual metaphors and motifs, like the yeah. um, like the tree that was like sort of rotting. Yeah, and they uh, filled with like concrete. Uh, I love that. It. It's, <laughs> it's such a so such a creepy. Um element to this thing and uh how it just like weighs on the central character's mind really early it's the, the nightmare so has. well yeah, yeah. And the way they the way they illustrate the nightmares as well like mm. the, it is watercolor it is all watercolor and it's beautiful for it like i think the watercolor works so well especially in the way that the monsters are because they like the well ghosts they're just like such inventive ways of displaying like what's going on like you've got like um you've got a skinless kid um and you've got like his skin as like two separate characters <laughs> which i thought was kind of cool uh and the way that that's sort of illustrated and done the way that that works out is really good and yeah i just i just want to know where this goes next i just want the second book now because I just thought it was brilliant and it's it's another like brilliant sort of coming of age witchy story in a similar vein to the Sabrina one that we read. Yeah, and like even the art styles aren't um too far uh removed from each other. Yeah. And, and just... something about it, like why does that watercolour style work so well in this type of dread horror book? Um, I don't know. I mean, I'd say when you say they're not so far apart, I'd say this has got more innocence about it than Sabrina does because Sabrina book actually just looks like old horror movie posters. Yeah, I would say so, but I just mean sort of like the texture. Yeah. Um, like the 
the surface of everything and the, and some of some of the detail and I think the way shading is used. I think it's because you can illustrate the ethereal better with watercolors than you can with like um, flat like uh, copics or something like that, or you know digital art. It's hard to create something like that with digital art. So would you say that the watercolor style is, is more visually descriptive? Yeah, in terms of uh, when you're going for like um, the supernatural, definitely because you can you can make things look ghostly. You can you can get more into it. I think using watercolors than you can you can fit you can fit more into an image using watercolors than you can if you coloured it in digitally. Because uh, this is me just being me, but I always think digital art looks a little bit cold. And a little bit too clean cut sometimes. I mean, especially for a horror story, I think I think digital art would be too clean and too cold. I think you need something that looks a little bit dirty. I mean, I guess it depends on the style that the artist is using. Because I think there's a lot of tools and um, talent these days where there's a lot of things where I think, oh, that looks so cool. It's like really cool sort of analog style. And it's like, nope, that was digital. And I was like, what? Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. There are. I mean, there is, there is, there is such a thing as called. You know, digital art can be is cool, and and digital art can be very, very. I'm not saying digital art is terrible or anything along those lines. All I'm saying is, like, for horror stories, I think if you use watercolors or something like that as a medium instead, you get a better, um, you get a better atmosphere off it. Yeah, I guess it it pulls you into the world more. There's um... yeah for, for horror for horror stories anyway. Yeah, there's yeah. less of an artifice, maybe because um, because we, we just have an innate um, relationship with like watercolor and 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 like hand painted um, yeah. Yeah. art. Maybe there's just the especially because a lot of um, children's art, like children's story art, was done is done that way as well. Maybe we just have this unconscious thing where we link those things, and it makes it more unsettling. Maybe yeah, especially with Harrow County, I think that comes yeah. across. But I like the way that, as I was saying before, it just that you can use watercolors to illustrate the ethereal, and you can make things look menacing because you can make them fade into everything else, and you know that thing that instead of just appearing in one part of the page is now everywhere and is everywhere effortlessly. If that makes sense. Mm. like you can you can fade something into the shadow with watercolors and it it would look much more effective than if you did it digitally um that's that's just my take on it anyway that's that's how i see it but (laughs) yeah and and this book as well like as well as it being as we've we've mentioned like the innocence of the artwork contrasts with the story of the darkness it's like in some places the imagery is actually genuinely disturbing like some of the things you see in it like i mentioned the skinless boy and um there's like other parts as well where it's like the art there's there's things in there that i i thought were genuinely kind of like just sort of turned me a little yeah there's a really good panel which also makes really good use of the color where um earlier on where uh, a witch is sort of burnt and but still talking and you just uh like that image of the, like the face burning and melting while like intense and angry is 
is really effective. No, yeah, I was, I'm into this book and I need book two. So yeah, that was Harrow County, Countless Haints. And I guess that brings us to an end of what we read this week. So that was your Halloween reading list. I hope you go away, read some of that, enjoy it. Things coming out November the 1st, so the day after Halloween. So these are things that we thought, that we're interested in, that we thought you might be interested in. Um, so we've got Asagi Yojimbo 163, um, Batman number 34, which is now, we're out of the uh, War of Jokes and Riddles, we're now into a new arc, which is basically the world dealing with the fact that Batman's marrying Catwoman and Batman has gone to tell Talia about it, and we're going to see how that plays out. Uh, <laughs> we've got Batman the White Knight number two, which if you listen to our previous podcast, we liked it, so buy it because it's great. It's a really good spin on Batman. Uh, Dastardly and Mutley number three, which we've been enjoying. Deadman number one. Um, it's like a new Deadman arc or a new Deadman story. Um, so, yeah, that might be quite interesting. I'm looking forward to that. Might pick that up. Uh, Batman the Devastator, which is part of the metal event. This is the Batman... Looks like Batman has been messing around with the Doomsday stuff. So, this is like Batman x Doomsday. This is like the Superman one. So if each of the um, metal Dark Knights so far has had a mirror in the Justice League, this is the Superman one. We had the, uh, this week actually I should mention, we had the uh, Wonder Woman one, which was Batman the Merciless. Uh, We've got Optimus Prime 12. So we've got TMNT Ghostbusters number two. Now uh, that starts on November 1st. So this is like a sequel to a previous Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Ghostbusters crossover by the same team, the brilliant Ghostbusters team that have done a lot of the current Ghostbusters stuff so far, and that's uh, Eric Burnham and Dan Schooning. We've also got Elsewhere, number four, Extremity, number eight. Extremity is a fantastic book, and if you're not already reading it, why not? Um, New book called Gravedigger's Union that looks quite interesting. That's another horror story. Um... Yeah, I'm, I'm. You know, I'm looking. I'm looking at it. I'll. I read it. If I do read it, I'll tell you guys what I think. Uh, Peter Parker, Spectacular Spider-Man number six, which uh, again we're, we're quite loving at the moment, and um, another brilliant new horror story called The Willows. Brilliant looking new horror story set in set near, set around the Danube, the River Danube, so Hungary and Austria. <laughs> so yeah, that's that's the list of things coming out November 1st that we're we're pretty much we're, we're looking forward to. Um anything that you'd add to that list Leon? No, no, not particularly. I mean, there's there's things that um I will be picking up to continue that you've mentioned and um on the new stuff I will see what you say about some of those new stuff. It's interesting the amount of um new and good horror books we've had this year i know it's it's been a really good year for it i think i we've, think we've spoke about this before where we hit on it it's like it feels just like the current climate is been very good for like horror story yeah i think it yeah you we've mentioned it and you've mentioned it like what's going on currently in the world is giving people something to bounce off and write these brilliant books so yeah it's been quite an interesting year for it um and it's not over yet by the by the looks of things um, so on to the questions from the multiverse. So questions this week, we've got two. Uh, we have a question from James who has sent us questions previously. And this time James asks us, if you were trapped on a small island, which comic creation is the last thing you'd want hunting you? 
so where do we go with this? <laughs> There's so many things that I would not want hunting me from comic books. And that's the thing. It depends what you would weigh as the worst uh, end of this. Because it doesn't always end in death, and it could just be a horrible situation that you'd be stuck in when they caught up with you. I mean, like, the obvious ones that come to mind are, like, supervillains that have tracking abilities and stuff. Hmm. So, like, um, Sabretooth, or Craven the Hunter, or even people like Batman. Or, like, the Punisher. Yeah, the Punisher, yeah. Ooh, being hunted by the Punisher, that'd be scary. He's He's nuts. I mean... Who else, like... I'm trying to think of, like, some kind of, like, feral beast with tracking abilities, because that'd be the scariest thing, being hunted by something truly primal. See... It, you could, you could yeah, reason... Yeah. With someone like the Punisher, you could reason with him, because if, if you hadn't actually committed a crime, he wouldn't kill you. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> you can't reason with a beast. Well, that's, that's the thing, like, I, um, I was thinking about this, and there's a lot of ones where it would be pr- pretty horrible, um... A lot of the... I was thinking about the X-Men and how a lot of them would be horrible and I settled on uh, Mystique being pretty bad because the thing that Mystique can do, if she's had some info on you and she's got a good read on you, then she can hunt you, but when she catches up with you, it's not going to be a case where she'll like straight away like kill you or anything. Instead, she's going to mess you up. So she can change into your like dead family members or like um like horrors from your like nightmares or from your youth and she could just taunt you constantly while you're going insane from being on an island because i'm assumed if we're trapped on this island and we crashed on it and we've got it's like lost we can't communicate yeah. with the outside world and if 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 uh if raven's there raven dark um she could just play with your mind and like slowly just drive you insane faster than you would normally being trapped on an island like that. And I think that terror... Like, I mean, when the Punisher catches up to your Craven, you're dead. Yeah. So you're out. I mean, he carries big guns. Craven has some decent weapons. Like, a lot of these people will just take you out straight away. But Mystique, she could, she could mess with you and, like, just, like... Yeah. Twist and twist and twist until you probably take yourself out. See, my... My, um, it, my thing... Because you could still hide from Mystique. Nah, she'd find you, and then she would turn into you, yeah. and then make you think that you're not real, you're the doppelganger, and she's the real... Like, oh, yeah. she could do some horrible things to you. But but the thing is, like, she doesn't have the tracking ability. She doesn't have the, like, it's not like you're running from, trying to run from someone like uh, Sabretooth, for example, who, let's say, let's, Sabretooth's a psychopath, and he is, he is, like, the most feral. He's like Wolverine without morals. So being chased by Sabretooth I think is worse because you can't escape from Sabretooth because he can smell you. Mystique can't smell you. You can hide from Mystique. You can't hide from Sabretooth. <laughs> <laughs> but at least when he catches you it's a quick end. I guess. Yeah, you're right there. It depends what he, it depends what he decides to do to you, doesn't it? I mean, he, he could be incredibly painful. Because um, There are some other, yeah. like, like crazy scenarios of that because he could sort of catch up to you and then maul you but not kill you so yeah like yeah he could maybe it's not as clean cut <laughs> he could he could like skin you or keep you alive yeah and, and oh god yeah no well there's <laughs> others that would just be like i don't want to hang around with you 
like if they're hunting because they don't want to be alone and talk and it's like go away people like cyclops i don't want to chat to you cyclops (laughs) (laughs) i have my side of the island you have your side of the island (laughs) leave me alone get in the water cyclops and stay there yeah like fry some fish with your eyes but otherwise uh, come on man go away <laughs> being yeah, being stuck on and like, so if we if we like this has gone from being hunted to being stuck on an island with, so yeah, and I won't want to be stuck on an island with Cyclops. Um, I'm still trying to think of like creations where I wouldn't want to be hunted by them, uh, like the worst one because it's hard to think of the worst one because they're all pretty bad. Like anyone that would hunt you on an island, it's all pretty bad. I think Deadpool would be mega annoying. I'd hate that. Oh, that would just be irritating, yeah. Yeah, he would hunt you, and then when he catches up to you, it's just quip and fourth wall breaking. It's like, shut up, man, and just kill me. Yeah, but you'd die pretty quickly. You'd probably have to endure, like, three or four four speech bubbles, and then you'd be dead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I think that would be horrible. But you can still reason with Deadpool, you see, that's the thing. Can you? Yeah. I guess. He's, He's, deep down, he's a good man, and unless you give him... Unless he's got like a really good reason to kill you, like because I've there's there's even been times where he's passed up money because he doesn't agree with what he's doing mm. because he isn't deep down he isn't a bad guy he's just you know he's a mercenary but he's not he's he's not heartless so I don't know Rorschach would be a downer. Oh god, yeah, getting hunted by Rorschach. You're already on a, an island thinking you're going to die, and then he just has to make it real. Now there's a man you can't reason with. <laughs> <laughs> you can't reason with Rorschach, so you would be dead if he caught you. Um, yeah, no, it, it think, I think it's going to be, it's like a tie between uh, Sabretooth, Rorschach, and uh, Mystique. Mystique for the psychological reasons, Sabretooth because he's just like a feral beast, and um, Rorschach because he's just so unreasoning and just Man, dogged an island and just with, horrible. Island with all three, that is just a nightmare. They'd kill each other before they got to you. Well, if they had a pact to like, drive you insane and kill you first. True, true, true. <laughs> <laughs> Don't give Hollywood ideas. Um, James, this is horrible. <laughs> <laughs> so, next question comes from Rahul, and uh, Rahul says to celebrate the uh, Thor, the upcoming Thor movie, which has been released actually on recording. I think it's out now. Um, which comic book character would you subject to a lifetime of being Mjolnir, i.e., being exactly who they are, just wielded by Thor like a mallet and flung around everywhere? So, <laughs> I'm so thinking. Who are you thinking? You see, I'm the way I imagine this, rather than them being flung about like the hammer, their consciousness being stuck in the hammer and they have to endure it. And like they'd feel pain when they hit stuff. <laughs> so this has gone from me thinking who I would put in that position to punish. Yeah, to to who I can actually see in that position as part of a weirdo comic storyline. So, again, Deadpool, because that's the kind of thing, this is this is like one of two ways, it's either going to be like a really silly Deadpool story, where through some kind of weird black magic or whatever, Deadpool gets stuck in Thor's hammer, and the hammer's constantly talking, and Thor's getting irritated by it, 
like Thor just getting mad at his hammer and then throwing his hammer at a bad guy kind of thing. Um, mm. But the hammer's Deadpool and the hammer's just constantly breaking the fourth wall. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> and while Doctor Strange is working on a way to reverse the process um, and not liking the fact that he has to do it. Thor constantly saying this is not a team-up as well because Deadpool will insist it's a team-up and Thor will say, no, it's not. Um, <laughs> you've got... Uh, the other one I can think of would be Spider-Man. Spider-Man? Yeah. <laughs> and that that is because he's so whiny sometimes, like Peter Parker. So Peter Parker being stuck as Thor's hammer and like all the internal monologuing, like why me, why am I a hammer kind of stuff as he's been... But then you about. get all the quips when he hits people in the head. Yeah. It would be, yeah, and, and then, again, Doctor Strange is working on it, working on getting him out of the hammer, but it's more serious than if Deadpool was involved. I don't know. It's one of those two. So, Spider-Man or Deadpool? See, see mine, I was trying to think, like, who'd be good? Who deserves it? Or whatever. And then I just I had a brainwave. Who deserves it? Shinji Ikari. <laughs> no. Thor. Thor as Thor's hammer. <laughs> yes. Put him in the hammer and then make the hammer a person, vision style. And then revenge from being tossed around willy-nilly and whacked left, right and centre and having various unworthy people try and clutch and, and so, pick so it up I'm imagining, years and years. I'm imagining the comic cover now, the mighty Mjolnir. Yes. And he's wielding Thor. But I want him <laughs> to have um, like a quite dour, sarcastic personality. Yeah, like really aloof as well. Dour, sarcastic, but really aloof. Like constantly pointing out Thor's stupidity. That would be good. Yeah. yeah, I want him to be like uh, Marvin, the the paranoid android from Hitchhiker's Guide. <laughs> Just like, oh, it's like finally granted like sentient life, but he doesn't really enjoy it at all. Yeah, a Thor as Thor's hammer. That's quite good. And Mjolnir as a as a living, breathing. Yeah. Yeah, but the thing with with uh, four as well, he's um, so sort of uh, flowery and uh, uh, like he speaks Shakespearean in in some ways. Like, he's, and he, it'd just yeah. be funny if him was like 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 he's like so noble and honor bound. But so if he had that in hammer form, but uh, while he was getting fl- flung about and whacked and spun around to fly in the air, well, like. Uh, Monia is in uh, in human form, just like yeah, this is okay, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Don't see what the big deal is. Dangly arms and legs and stuff, just like. <laughs> but like you, you've got um, like the way Thor is anyway. He has the personality of a weapon, if that makes sense. So like it, you know, like when when you get talking swords in comics yeah, and stuff, yeah. they're like Thor anyway. That's true. Always like battle obsessed and and like they talk like Thor does. They use like this hot kind of like high old English kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it kind of, it, it feeds into that anyway, that Thor would be the hammer and Mjolnir would be, <laughs> would he have a hammer shaped head though? Mjolnir. Oh, he has. To. Yeah. And it has to be oversized like uh, <laughs> Marvin in the Hitchhikers movie. It needs to be a massive hammer head. And he constantly gets sore shoulders from having a huge <laughs> hammer sized head. <laughs> No, yeah, that would be good. I can, I can, I can go with your answer as the best answer there, because mine, mine would just be making someone really annoying as the hammer, so the hammer's super annoying. 
Like, that's why I was thinking Deadpool or Spider-Man. Because Spider-Man can be annoying sometimes. Well, you're, just, you're so salty on Spider-Man these days. <laughs> I'm not salty on Spider-Man. <laughs> I, like, I like the new... I like Spectacular Spider-Man. That's a good book, you know? But... I just, I can't help but think that he's a little bit whiny sometimes. You're and just done with Peter's shit. Yeah. He just, he just, <laughs> sometimes he deserves to be thrown at a bad guy really hard. So stop whining, Peter. Oh my God, Peter, just shut the fuck up. You just want to slap him. No, um, but yeah. So I guess that brings us to the end of the show. So that has been the Ace Karma Calls or Hallow's Eve episode. Um you can find us on Facebook at Ace Comicals. You can find us at www.acecomicals.com, which is kind of the hub for everything. You'll have a link to the Twitter at Ace Comicals. Uh, there's a link to our Instagram where you can find us as Ace Comicals. Um, you can find us on iTunes under Ace Comicals. You can find us on your favorite podcatcher app. I'm pretty sure just to search for Ace Comicals will be there. Um, you will be able to find us on WordPress, uh, acecomicals.wordpress.com. Um, and you can find me on Twitter under at Bato, so you can submit a question there, or you can submit a question via um, the Ace Comicals Gmail account, which is acecomicals.gmail.com. Hit us up. Yeah, send us a question, and we'll answer it on the next show. Uh, Leon, where can we find you? You can find me uh, on Twitter at Leon Everett. Yep, and uh, it, well, if you want to ask questions, or ask Leon anything, if you submit to the Ace Comicals box, then I can forward it on to him. Yeah, so, give us something, <coughs> some wild and crazy. Yeah, give us some, give us some nutty questions. We love your questions, guys. Yeah, so that's been the Ace Comicals Halloween episode. Um, enjoy Halloween, Ace Comicals, over and out.